Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Josh Martin. Josh, good to see you again. How are you? Good to see you too, Josh. The tale of two Joshies. Now I'm excited to be back, man. Last time we were in person and now it's on screen. So not as friendly. Oh, it'll be friendly, but not as close. Peak pandemic. I'll say more convenient. I, mean, I, I think uh, there's something to be said about being together in the same space, but there's also something to be said about being in your home, which provides a level of comfort that I feel that you don't necessarily get if you're recording in a studio or in, in someone else's apartment. So hopefully people can't tell. They won't be able to tell the difference. Hopefully, or maybe it'll be more fun. And when we finished last time, there were two things that we were finishing on. One was that you had, there was something involving farmer's markets. And there was also your projects coming up of coding and helping and leading others. Any preference between, I'm curious about both. Well, listen, I can tell you the farmer's market, the short and sweet, I didn't make it very far, man. We can, so we can start there. I, I think I'll say this. I, there's a challenge that was posed to me by you to make a difference or make a, uh, a slight change that would hopefully benefit the environment. Is that correct? And I chose to go to the farmer's market once a week and make a meal once a week. Well, let's go back a step. There's a step before that, which was to, I asked you what the environment meant to you. And okay. you talked about a lot of things at first, and I kept focusing on, but what is, what's internal to your heart, to your mind? when you think about it. And at one point you were talking about your family and hiking. I think you said not many black families hiking outside of, outside of what the city. And can you remind us when you think what, like I asked you to act on that. Do you remember what, what does the environment mean to you? What you, what you Yeah, shared? no, I think I was referencing the, the times where I went hiking in the mountains of Colorado with my family. This was probably mid two thousands. And that was my first kind of exposure in that way to the environment, to nature. And it's something that I, uh, I spend a lot of time outdoors with sports and football, obviously, but it's, it's different when you go for your sanity or your mental health to get out in nature and be away from the sights and sounds of the city. Uh, so that, I think that's really what I was recalling. And what I, it may have felt like I gave you a challenge. What I formally tried to do was to invite you to act on those things. And you did something that some people do I've had a lot of people on this podcast. This is going to be episode close to 600. And a lot of people, the first thing they go to is, oh, I'll go without straws for a week or something that they read about in the New York Times, something that they're supposed to do. And I try to focus. I'm not trying to ask you to save the world or do anything for anyone else except for yourself, but that would have a component of changing something. And you did something not, you said you go through, do you remember what you said? Because I was just listening to the first episode. I should have really listened to the episode, man. I remember it has something to do with the fact that I walk through this farmer's market pretty much every day of the week, at least Monday through Friday at Union Square when I'm headed to the gym. And it would be easy for me to, instead of going to a grocery store, to buy local. And I think I mentioned duck bacon or something of that nature. And I thought, you know, I can just go to the farmer's market and that'll be my slight change that I'll make. That Okay, so you talked about a slight change. And a lot of people listen to this podcast and they say, Josh, it's so cool that you get people to do these little things. And I always, this gets me going because I, I have to improve how I communicate this, that it's not big or small that I focus on. It's intrinsic versus extrinsic. Mm -hmm. And I think I pointed this out. That you said there was something that was convenient for you, but it wasn't necessarily connecting with that feeling of the freedom of being in the outdoors. And it, so- 
it's not always the same thing. And I was a little worried that this might happen with you because it's not, it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't sure because you know you, I'm, I'm not you, that maybe it was convenient isn't necessarily inspiring. Mm-hmm. Whereas from internal can be inspiring. Yeah, I think, I mean, on that note, I probably made it about two weeks getting uh, duck bacon at the farmer's market. The first week I tried duck bacon. I didn't really like the taste. And then uh, the next week I had pork bacon. I didn't really like that taste either. Uh, so I stopped, I stopped going to the farmer's market. And I, I guess to that point, it's, I wasn't intrinsically motivated to make that shift personally than shopping at the farmer's market. So maybe that's the reason why it didn't last very long. Well, now I'm thinking you maybe have higher standards than a lot of people for yourself because you, a lot of people who've been on this podcast would have said, oh man, it was great. I went for two weeks. I, <laughs> <laughs> I let up, but then I got the experience. I mean, if you let up because you didn't like the experience, that's different than not trying, which is what I read the first time or maybe half-assing it. Yeah, I get that. I think for me, it was, I was a little disappointed. I was like, damn, I'm gonna have to go on this podcast with Josh and tell him I didn't make it. But three months is a long time. I will say two weeks. I don't know what the percentages are. Uh, but I don't know if I was eating, was I eating that mention I eat vegetarian breakfast? Is that something that I mentioned? Vegetarian vegan stuff did come up at some point. Yeah. But I forget what exactly was said. Yeah, it might have been that. That's pretty much my thing in, in trying to eat more plant based meals. Something that I can say for the most part of the last three months, two out of the three meals that I eat in a day are, uh, at least during the week, are plant-based or at least vegetarian. Well, now I can't. Have to, I, I have to go off topic for a second here because I said, have you seen the movie The Game Changers? No, but I, I know Derek Morgan. We have the same agent. I know he was one of the executive producers and his wife, Charity, I believe, was featured in the movie. Because the... Yeah, it's, it's one of the cultural shifts that seems to be happening now is athletes are more open and trying to avoid meat. And it has Schwarzenegger on it. it was, I, I don't know if he's vegan or probably sometimes. I'm sure he eats meat occasionally. Mm-hmm. Are you, you're not trying to keep in the shape that you were when you're playing, but I presume that you're keep. I mean, I can only see your. Yeah, uh, I'm certainly not in. I'm certainly not in playing shape, but I go to the gym and I train to stay in shape and to stay fit for my personal health. Does that mean you worked a lot on nutrition to figure out to make sure that you were feeding yourself well, or do you just eat a very diet and figure it all works out? No, I think there's a point where I was really religious about the types of foods that I ate so much so that I was so, my diet was too restrictive at a point. Uh, I had some blood work done. It's not perfect science, but I had some blood work done that essentially told me, hey, these are the foods that you should stick to, or at least these are the foods that you should stay away from. And then staying away from those foods, things like dairy, things like gluten, basically anything you'd find in processed food for the most part. And that's something that I've stuck to since that point in time, just from a performance standpoint, but also just quality of life. It just feels better to eat healthier in whole foods. Okay. So it's not, if I read you right, there's some things for you to avoid and then you stick with whole foods and it works. Yeah, it works. Cool. Because a lot of people are like, oh, if you're, if you want to be a football player or even maybe not in playing shape, but something fit, it's not a big deal. What's not a big deal? Making sure that you're eating healthy. Yeah, I'm not a football player anymore and I still eat healthy because I know the value of 
what eating healthy can do for your physical and mental health and well-being. So I think that's certainly a response. But as a former professional athlete, I will say that the lifestyle changes or the lifestyle that allowed me to perform at a high level on the field, those are the same habits. And it's the same lifestyle that allows me to perform off the field and other endeavors. I was curious to, to pursue that a second. I'm going to go back on topic to, so if you did two or three weeks, if I heard right, of going to the farmer's market, trying it out, then you didn't like the, all the duck fat and pig fat. And then you didn't pick up any more from that. And if I read right, is it that it wasn't from intrinsic motivation? You were just kind of trying it? Or yeah, I mean, that's, that's my assumption based off of what you were saying earlier. But the, really, I stopped doing it because I didn't like the taste of it. I didn't like the way duck bacon tastes, and I didn't like the way the bacon tastes. Um, and that's not to say I never eat meat or never eat bacon. I just didn't like that particular bacon that I found at the farmer's market. So to me, it wasn't worth spending money on something that I don't enjoy. I got to say, I go to the farmer's market a fair amount and pig and duck bacon is not the most of what I expect. I think, I think vegetables and there's tons of vegetables. Actually, I take it back. This was where we now it's April 4th as we're recording this. I got a big backlog. So it's probably well after April 4th that people are listening to this, but yeah, this is when the leanest time at the farmer's market, it's all root vegetables. This can be apples because they're year round, but yeah, you're going for the slim pickings for the vegetables that might've affected it. Cause if you go in a couple of weeks when all the lettuces come out and a lot of the early spring greens oh, and the strawberries and then cherries, it might be a different story going through the farmer's market in February and March is not slim pickings. Yeah. You got to know what you're going. You got to want to get beets and carrots because that's what yeah, you get. I'm, I'm not against beets and carrots, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't for me. That being said, I do. I've been going to Trader Joe's more often. And I know one of the big knocks against Trader Joe's is their plastic, but I'm not anti-veggie. I want to be clear. <laughs> I eat my vegetables. I just don't always get them. I, I really don't just, I just don't get them from the farmer's market. I'll say that. Well, I wonder if you want to, there's a couple options here that I propose to you. One is declare victory, right? You went for a while, found out you didn't like it and learned from the experience. Another is to try again, to see if there's another thing to, that might be more inspiring to, that more resonates with something inside. Another one is to try again. And in the spring, there might be more. And into the summer, there might be more really exciting stuff that colorful, fresh stuff in season. And there might be other options I haven't thought of. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's an alternative to the farmer's market, if there's another shift that I can make in my day-to-day life, that would be a bit more inspiring or something that I'd be more likely to do or accomplish and to developing a habit. If that, if you're up for that and it would be habit that would be more stewardship, environmental stewardship related, I propose that we go back to what nature means to you. And instead of, I think there's a bit of focusing on what can I do to help the world? It's really more of what can you do to improve your life? And take for granted that it will improve the world in some way. I think that if that happens, then things will just occur to you as you're doing it to like, oh, I can do more of this. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of how I've thought about my shift in diet to eating more vegetarian uh, meals, plant-based meals. And you benefit from that. It, It definitely has an impact on your health and your 
body's ability to be more nutritious or to gain more nutrition and less carbon emissions for plants versus animals. When you talk about poultry and and the beef industry, I guess, I mean, you're the expert. (laughs) I just like what I mostly, now I mostly go by delicious and what I haven't had in a while. So when I'm eating seasonally, I'm always getting something. Well, I'm often getting things that haven't gotten for nine, 10 months. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. Although I'll tell you something that I'm doing now, which might be, this might be something interesting to you. I got into this group that all these 10 minute, 15 minute delivery places. Oh yeah. They throw out a lot of food at the end of the day. And I, I belong to this organization that we go and we volunteer and I go pick up the stuff that they're going to throw away. And I bring it to this community center where anyone who wants it can pick it up. It's like this total Robin Hood situation. And the deal is, the volunteers get to pick up some of the stuff when they deliver it. So I go to the, I go to the store. It's not a store. They're all ghost stores. Shoppers can't go in them. Mm-hmm. And the people who work there are like, thank you for taking this. Cause we get this email in from the headquarters to throw it out. We don't want to throw it out. So they're like, thank you for getting, taking this. And, and then I, I take it. And on the way I put a couple things in my bag, but deliver like most of it to the place. And then the people there are like, thank you for bringing it. And I'm like, I didn't, Create it. Like I'm getting thanked at both ends and I'm getting free vegetables along the way. So it's this total score. And now I want to change the system. And this is not systemic change. This is just averting some food going into the garbage. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, hopefully as I observe more, I'll figure out a way to change the system. But at least in the short term, I'm keeping totally edible, delicious ingredients out of the garbage and getting them to people who are hungry. It sounds like a win, win, win. Yeah. Except (laughs) it's sustaining the system. I haven't been at it long enough to see what, if there's something on a bigger scale that can be done, Mm -hmm. but you're in Brooklyn, if I remember right. Yeah. I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah. I don't know if there's, if I don't know if there's, I know throughout Manhattan, there's a bunch of these community centers that anyway, if you want to join me for one of those. Yeah. There's a community center. I see people waiting in line at the community center near me all the time. So I'm sure there's something available. So well, I'll, I couldn't help but share that, but I'll offer that if you want to join me for one of those things, it might be something you enjoy. But also, it's, if I'm hearing you right, last time you were talking about hiking with family and the freedom of that experience, this time I'm hearing there's, if, tell me if I'm reading you right, a joy in eating healthy and a joy in ingredients. There's a joy in taking care of myself. For me, it's an act of self-care, an investment in my present and my future in terms of my short and long-term health. Through eating or through all sorts of things, exercising. Uh, through, through, through eating, through exercise, managing my finances, all of those things. That's how I'm trying to approach life. And what's the, what do you get out of it? What's the emotional appeal, the results? Actually, you know, mainly just the satisfaction that I'm doing something that, is beneficial to myself and ideally helpful for others as well. Is that something to go on in a different, that might be a different direction than the hiking that is there something you could do about to to increase that satisfaction, to augment it? Well, I think that'd be me zooming out from the hiking and maybe the why behind the hiking as an investment in my health. That's what hiking would be. So I think that is a good point. Does anything come to mind? So I invite you to think of something that you could do that you're not already doing that has some change, some non-zero change to the world, but that's not the focus. It's something you're not already doing 
that you do with your own hands, not telling other people what to do, that you could commit to for some period of time and share how it went if, you, if you're up for coming back for a third episode. Yeah, I think there's nothing top of mind that I can think of. But it's definitely a good thought exercise at the very least. The, with most people, when they say, I can't think of anything, then they usually say, oh, let me get back to you, which means I'm not going to get back to you. Well, I didn't even say I was going to get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what other people say. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think, listen, we could do a thought exercise right now. I, I, there's not much that I do on my day-to-day, honestly. I lead a relatively boring life. I spend most of my time at home these days. There's some travel that I do. Uh, but I'm not willing to forego air travel at this point in time. Maybe I can make more of my trips instead of traveling as frequently, which I'd be open to. And I already recycle. I'm not sure how much of it is actually recycled. And oh, I guess those are the obvious ones. Even at home, is there anything, are there things you could do at home. Because hmm. I think you're thinking of how to fix the world. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, not necessarily fix the world, but it's like, all right, well, let me do my part at least. However small of an impact or large of an impact it might make. But something that makes me feel good too. It's like, oh, I recycled this. This is what we're supposed to do. It could, go to, it could be used again. Then there's some feel-good emotion, some satisfaction that I get out of knowing that, oh, this will have a second life. I made use of it and now someone else can. Um, I think you're thinking of what you can do for the world and if it benefits you, great. And I propose switching that. What you can do for yourself and if if it benefits the world, great. But that's a side uh, effect. Yeah, I think the environmental point of view makes me think that way. Uh, Because environmentally, I probably could turn off my electronics earlier that could certainly help benefit my sleep and rest, my ability to recover on a nightly basis, which would have some impact. Have you been thinking um, of doing something like that? I have. Sleep is something that I've been trying to improve. I've been my point of emphasis over the last couple months. When I used to ask my class, my students, college students, like five, 10 years ago, I'd ask, do you keep your phone by your bed? And they would go, mm, yeah, I'm not supposed to, but I do. Now, when I ask the class, they're like, of course, why not? There's no, of course, we keep the phone by the bed because I want to check before I go to sleep. And I want to check before, as soon as I wake up. They, and I'm like, I ask, is there any second thought about this? Uh, might you not want to have the phone by the bed all the time? And like, they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that was a change I made probably at least a couple of years ago. I keep my phone out of my bedroom. I try not to bring it into my bedroom for the sake of setting an intention for that space in my home. This is for sleep or for rest. And I try to draw that line and, and try to eliminate as many distractions as I can from a sleep standpoint. But also, if there's work I'm trying to get done, it's probably best that I don't have my phone near me. Because mm-hmm. it, because it can become a distraction. Are you up for trying something with the electronics about turning them off earlier? I, yeah, I think I can definitely do that. That's something that I. That's a easy lift. I'd like to think. <laughs> and is it something? And if it's something you've already wanted to do, that would certainly fit the bill. It's using less power. So right off the bat, 
you satisfy, it does change the environment in some way. Mm-hmm. And the listeners can't see it, but you look like you're smiling. And yeah, no, I'm, I think it's something that it's like, yeah, I could probably, I could do that because like you said, it's something that I've wanted to do. There's a benefit to everyone, including myself in some capacity. And it's, it's something that's easily achievable. And oh, you say easily achievable. I got to say people identify me as, oh, you're so extreme. You unplug the fridge and all that stuff. I got to say turning off electronics is one of the ones I, I set for myself and lose it all the time. It's one of the harder ones for me. I think I'm better than some, but I'm not, it creeps back on me all the time. Although I haven't used social media. I haven't logged into Twitter, Facebook, Reddit this year. So I'm doing pretty well on that. But yeah, when I think of electronics, I mean, my TV isn't on very often. And the only electronic really that the electronic that most people spend their time on out of the day uh, is probably their cell phone. So for me, it's, it's turning off the likes and going to bed earlier which is certainly a benefit to getting more regular sleep. And then when I do watch TV, maybe not watching it as late in the night, maybe reading a book instead. So my, many of my guests have inspired me back. So maybe I'll get inspired by you. So are you up for coming back a third time and showing how this went? Yeah, I'm happy to. I think I'm I'm more confident about coming back and and speaking of my success and turning off my electronics with with this, uh, not challenge, but this goal that we've come together to to set, at least for myself. And I'll tell you that my, I haven't kept track of this exactly, but what I remember is the the least effort that someone's put into one of these. Now, physical effort, because emotional effort is totally different. It might've been one of the hardest, but a guy said he was going to, I think he was going to turn off his cell phone a bit more each day. And he came back and it was tremendous change in his life because it turned out that his cell phone broke and he ended up using, combining it breaking with turning on. So he like dramatically used it less. And most of his story was about spending more time with his wife and his dog and going to the beach together, which like it was a much bigger difference than he expected. So I think the small shift. Well, in this case, it may have been small in terms of energy at the cell phone, but there's these huge server farms. Someone told Mm -hmm. me that there was like a video by Cristian Ronaldo, the soccer player, I forget his name. And they said that if he does a video of a certain length, that's a certain megabytes and a million people download it, the amount of pollution caused by that is huge. It's not a small thing. It's not just the batteries of the phones. It's this globalization network. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone... There's this huge effect that is one of the main pieces of, of sustainability leadership is people look at, they look at something becoming more efficient and they think that means it uses less energy. But when something's more efficient, it usually costs less, which entrepreneurs love because then they come up with other things to do with it. So mm-hmm. transistors today, the energy they use compared to ENIAC is like nothing. But the amount of pollution caused by computers is like a, some... I don't think it's hit double digit percent, uh, but it's like a lot of what our total pollution and what we do to the land to get the elements out to make the stuff and just displacing people from the land and so forth. So the environmental impact of efficiency is usually to increase our lowering of Earth's ability to sustain life. Like electric cars, the thing to look at is not compare one electric car versus one internal combustion engine car. It's to look at I mean, one way of looking at it is, have you seen the sub $1,000 cars coming out of China now? No, I haven't. 
yeah, I don't think they're really, I, they might not be street legal in the US, but they're making these cars that when you make the car light enough, you can get a couple motors, like a bicycle, electric bike motor for those on each one for each wheel of the car. And you got a car that works and it's not, you probably wouldn't want to ride on the highway, but within the city, it works great. But a thousand dollar car, an $800 car, a lot of plastic, it's not a particularly durable thing. If it crashes, if it breaks, I'm thinking you can throw it away, not repair it, but it's certainly more than we're going to get. They're not going to last very long. So I'm thinking of landfills filled with $800 cars that are slightly broken. Mm -hmm. That's the pattern. Uber was supposed to, was predicted to reduce traffic, but it increased traffic because it's not that an Uber, the thing people compare an Uber, someone who has a car getting rid of the car and just taking Uber sometimes. The thing to think about is that people who weren't going to go out at all or who were going to take a bus or a subway, and now it's affordable to, for them to take a car. So there's much more, not much, but a lot the miles driven and the congestion cost is increased by ride share. It's not decreased. Yeah. No one looks at oh, the, uh, the systemic uh, yeah, nah, effects. I, yeah. That, that's so uh, we talk about accessibility, we make things more accessible. There's going to, you're going to have more users, which can certainly have a net effect. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. That Cristiano Ronaldo example that you gave, I, I never really considered that in terms of digital content and the distribution of digital content, you know, because it's great to be able to disseminate this information to billions of people across the planet. But there's energy that's consumed with every click or every view of a video. Yeah, I, I never really considered that. That's no one does. And very few people do. And that's the main problem is. This push, this drive toward efficiency seems it's actually in a weird way. Well, when it, once you get it, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Once you see it, you start seeing it everywhere. Mm -hmm. But in a weird way, and people keep saying, let's make it more efficient. And you're like, oh, that's actually increasing more. Like one drone, one helicopter drone compared to one helicopter pollutes like nothing. I would bet how many helicopters are there in just say the US? And I'm sure there's a hundred times more drones already. I would suspect that drones are polluting more than helicopters, even though one drone compared to one helicopter is very not is like nothing. Once you consider materials and the energy required to charge the batteries, and the, the number, number of drones, the, just a pure volume, yeah, sheer volume, yeah. The number, the, more people using them for more uses. Yeah, they're more accessible. I have a drone here in my closet. Yeah, and you I never fly it though, so maybe it's is that worse than having this efficient technology and not using it at all. Is that worse than from a utility standpoint? Well, that's a managerial and um, engineer perspective. And I come at it from a leadership perspective, which is, did you need it? Did it improve your life to get it overall? Not just in the moment that you bought it or the moment you used it once or twice, or even if you used it a lot, but what else could you, like, how does it, what's its payoff compared to something else that doesn't pollute? Yeah, I think for me, one, it was a gift. It's never been open. I've had it for years. It's been in the, it's never been used. So it's added very little value to my life other than something that I moved from apartment to apartment. Oh, <laughs> but it's I like, I don't want to get rid of it because it's a nice, it's a nice gift. Oh, I'd put it on Craigslist and sell it. That's what I would do. That's probably what I am going to do, actually. It took a long time. My dad was the last one. I, I kept telling people, stop buying material gifts. I don't want physical things. And he kept buying me books. He's like, you'll like it. 
I'm like, dad, I have, a, I have a library across the street from me. If you give me this book, I'm going to not open it because I want to take it to Strand and, or books to the bookstore and I want to get the most money I can for it. Now, if you paid $30 for this book, they'll give me 10, 15, and then I'll go to the library. So all you're doing is throwing away 20 bucks. It doesn't make sense. And finally he got it. Yeah, I wonder uh, psychologically having material things, something that you can touch and feel if there's something there where because it's something you can touch and feel, it's, it's valued differently. Right? We don't pay to see our family, or I guess you do in some sense, but uh, in terms of experiences, I feel like we value material things over experiences in, in a lot of cases until you gain that perspective, Yeah, maybe. That perspective has changed a lot for me. Yeah. And I didn't expect it to. I didn't know it was coming when I challenged myself to go for a year without flying. I had no conception that I would connect with family more, not less. It was, that was the opposite of what I expected. I expected How often were you flying before? Oh man, a couple times a year. And okay. I had this work overseas. I had a year in Shanghai and they were paying for me when work was low. I could travel all throughout Asia and I did. And yeah, my parents met in India and we'd go there every now and then. And when my dad's a history professor, he'd get all these grants. So we were always flying around to mm-hmm. on government grant money to visit all these different places. And so I did, and I, I just valued, I valued it. It was good. It was improving the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just happened to be getting to see the Eiffel Tower myself, but also it was improving the world and sharing cultures and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like that's the addiction speaking. I mean, that's a whole other story. Uh, if you want, I can go into it, but it's. Yeah. So. What, what's, what is this addiction to what? To new experiences or to this feel good? I'm doing something good, but it, at the end of the day, net, net positive isn't, isn't quite what you might've thought. Well, so an addiction is it's continually choosing ad, adverse consequences because of rewarding stimuli. So it's choosing something in the moment that you like, even though it's hurting. Now, I grew up in the world in the 70s. There was little to no concern. We knew about global warming and we knew sea level rise was, was possible. We knew there was pollution, but we also knew that the earth was really big and the odds of, it just seemed inconceivable that we could really damage it as people predicted. Mm-hmm. So there were no adverse consequences. We were just choosing rewarding stimuli. Mm-hmm. I want to go see something. I want to go see Machu Picchu. Well, I've never seen Machu Picchu, but you know, I want to go see the Eiffel Tower or something like that, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. No problem. Now the world changed and our understanding of the world changed. And it turns out, yes, there are adverse consequences. So it's this weird thing where it's unlike any other addiction where you, if you drink alcohol or go gambling or take meth, you risk, you know that there's a chance of you getting addicted. And so you do something thinking maybe, oh, I won't get addicted. I'll stop before I get addicted. A lot of people get addicted to it. But flying when I was a kid, it wasn't like, oh, I'm risking getting addicted. The addiction came when the adverse consequences came. Now, most people think, if you don't think past yourself, there's no adverse consequences. Other people get hurt, right? That's the third world. That's people who, they're not voters in the United States. They're not people I see. But you know that they got kicked off their lands to get the oil underneath. That There's places that are covered in plastic. Now, if I don't care about them, then there's no adverse consequences. But I do care about them. I don't care how abstracted it sounds to other people. I, they're my brothers and sisters. And 
So the, the adverse consequences came in and it became an addiction in a backdoor kind of way. So once I realized I couldn't stomach it anymore, like the last trip I took was to London, took the channel to Paris and came back from Paris. And I couldn't sleep. I was staying up at night trying to rationalize and justify this the way I had for a while that my flying wasn't really a problem. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I just knew too much of past human behaviors that hurt other people and people were willing to look the other way because they wanted, I don't know, their sugar or their rum or their molasses or their cotton. And they could look the other way and say, well, I don't know, that's someone else's. I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't look across an ocean and I couldn't stop looking across the ocean and seeing the consequences. So that, so it was an addiction. It didn't start as an addiction because I didn't know people were hurting at the beginning, but then it became that way. And so when I, I still buy stuff with plastic in it and I think of where it's going to be 500 years from now, because it's not going to break down in that time. And I think of people in, well, across the ocean, but increasingly on Manhattan in my world who are suffering from the pollution. So people lived for 300,000 years without plastic. It's definitely possible. The more I learn of, of anthropology, the more healthy and more longevity, more health, more prosperity, more abundance, more equality in the huge variety of what we'd now call indigenous cultures compared to ours. If they're, I have happiness to gain. I have freedom to gain from not using these things that pollute. Not, I'm not getting less adventure. I ride my bike to a state park or a national park and I just bought a, a new tent for the first time in a long time because I haven't gone bicycle camping in a long time. I know some of the bike rides I've had have been more life-changing than overseas trips I've taken before. In, in what way? Oh, man, there's, there's two big ones. I rode up to Bear Mountain State Park. I was trying to ride to my mom's house, but it turns out a 49-year-old, no, I was 50 at the time. A 50-year-old can't ride as far as he could when he was 20. <laughs> yeah. And especially my first time riding for a long ways in a while. So my mom's is 100, 120 miles away and I made it 50 miles. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it the other 70. So I got to head back. On the way back, and I did a blog post or a, a solo podcast episode on this if people want to listen. And I gave up at about 80 miles. I was going, I was in the lowest gear the bike goes going up some hill. And before I would have thought 100 miles is no big deal. Of course, I hit a huge hill early in the ride, like at the very beginning. And so I was really tired. And I've done over hundred miles many times before, but like decades ago. So I'm going up in the, this several Hills. I'm going up in the lowest gear on the bike. And it's really hard to, it's not hard to pedal. It's just boring. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? Oh, and I was on this road. There was no, I thought there might be another train Metro North stop that then wasn't one. So I'm stuck. I, I'm on some road with no, and I don't want to call an Uber because it's in the middle of the pandemic. And I don't know what's safe or not. And I'm thinking, maybe a pickup truck will go by. I'll stick out my thumb and I'll hitchhike. I just got to get to the GWB, to the George Washington Bridge. Then it'll be flat and I could ride home from there. I take the subway, take the A train home. So I see some SUV coming. I stick my thumb out. And it's some like luxury Audi SUV. So they don't stop for some sweaty biker. And then I'm like, as soon as I went by, I was like, what am I doing? I'm not going to hitchhike a ride back. And I felt so ashamed, but also helpless. 
And I said, I'm just going to keep riding. And the old thing when you ride, when you go on a distance thing, it's like, I'll just go to that one more tree, that next hill, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And I made it five miles, six miles. And then I'm starting to get close to like Fort Lee to, I can see that the bridge is really close. Okay. And that's giving me more energy. And I'm thinking, I just got to get to the bridge. Getting across the bridge will be okay. And then I can take the train home. So I get across the bridge and I'm like, no way am I going to take the train home. I'm not going to go 90 miles and then take the train home. So I rode all the way home. And I w- it wasn't pretty. And riding in Manhattan wasn't so hard because there's lights and so forth. It was dark. It was very dark. It was nighttime at this point. Mm-hmm. So for the next few days after that, I tell a couple friends this story. And they're like, oh, that's cool. You made a 100-mile ride. Your first 100-mile ride in a while. I was like, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Until I realized that when I stuck my thumb out, when I got home, it meant that I could make it. When I stuck my thumb out, I gave up on myself. I had what it took to get home, and I thought I didn't. How many other things, how many other times in life have I given up when I had it in me to keep going? This was a, I feel ashamed. I've grown from it now. I misjudged myself. And I found that out because I pushed a limit. I didn't reach my limits, but I thought I had. I don't want to say this is some big, huge experience. It's, it's just one guy on a bike ride. But I found myself. Yeah, there's something in that vulnerability when you feel like you don't have anything left. That's what I love about sports. And I think there's something to be said about the physical senses as opposed to your mental limits, which, you know, far exceed your physical limits, but you really don't get to press those limits until you begin to explore, you know, what's possible physically in my, in my personal opinion. And obviously I'm biased as an athlete and having been in those moments where you don't think you can't go any further. It's like, I, I ain't got it, coach. You know, not, 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 not today. I don't have any more hill sprints. I, don't, I can't walk up this sand dune. I can't lift this weight. And you don't know until you keep going. And there's a point you can be on a team sport, but there's a point when it's just you and yourself and this physical challenge that you have to overcome in order to reach that next level of not existence, that next level of what you think or feel is possible. Self-awareness. Uh, it's like it's a sense of awareness. Yeah. And that becomes addicting. That's what I, that's, that's what I love about physical fitness. And it's not, Oh, I want to look nice in pictures and sure that can be a part of it, but it's about shifting what's possible in your mind, at least personally. And then constantly trying to exceed that or at least meet that. And you realize that there's a lot more that you're capable of than you realize. Yeah. The last fall I took this trip, it was a fundraising trip for this group, this organization is trying to build, connect all the rails and old canals to go from Maine to Florida. They want to get the full East Coast Greenway. That's what it's called, East Coast Greenway. Mm-hmm. And so there's a ride from Philadelphia, from New York to Philadelphia, and I'm from Philly. And the part up here in North Jersey, going south from New York was like industrial and not really that much fun. But then we had some canal paths from roughly New Brunswick on south. Stunningly beautiful. I had no idea it was there. And then I spent... The, the night at my dad's house where I grew up. And I went out with my dad. I'm not particularly close with the guy. But the technique I did with you on this podcast, someone had done with me, because I do it, we do it back and forth a lot. And so I, I had a challenge to spend time with my dad walking 
visiting the sledding hill that I talk about in one of my TEDx talks. And the past bunch of times that I've spent time with my dad, it's been like when he's passing through New York, so near Penn Station, which is not like a particularly beautiful part of the city. And in fact, last time I was hanging out with him, we were like on the steps of the, not library, post office. And there's like syringes around because there's people like living between the columns and drugs and stuff like that. This is Penn, Penn Station? Yeah, sounds like Penn Station. Yeah. And, but then we're walking around this park near where I grew up and it was a totally different, con- was a totally different conversation and much closer. I, I wonder how much of, how much closer I can be with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I rode down there and he came to see me. And actually when we rode from near Penn's Landing where the ride ended to his house, he drove, but I, I still wanted to ride the rest of the way. I saw his car coming in. It was like a 30, 40 minute ride. And I, he didn't beat me. He beat me by seconds. I felt great. What was, his, what was the reasoning behind that? How come he, why didn't he beat you? Why did you get there around the same time? I suspect he went down, went across Vine Street, and he likes to take East River Drive, Kelly Drive, because along the Schuylkill River where Boathouse Row is. And it's not the most direct way. So I think he went a longer route, whereas I went right through North Philly. Okay. Maybe he wasn't in a hurry. This uh, sounds like a more scenic route. I had just ridden 120 miles over the, the past day and a half, so I was tired. But yeah, I don't know. I didn't ask him. I was just happy. Take, take the wins, man. Yeah. So I don't know. These are just a couple examples of, of bike riding that was really cool experiences. Meeting, spending, getting close to my dad is like counts for a lot. It's not going to be around forever. And just there's another one where I rode out to uh, Gateway National Park out close to uh, JFK. Mm-hmm. And the first time I went, it was a 70 mile ride there and back. And I felt great. But when I was out there, I found some berries, a bunch of mulberry trees. So I went out again, another ride, this time more direct. It was only 50 miles. The second ride, I see, I'm eating all those berries off this tree. And this old couple walks by and they're like, oh, I'm like, they're like, hey, cool that you're eating the berries. I was like, yeah, I can't stop. And then they were picking berries at the next tree. After I finished, I started riding, I passed by. And then, and then the next tree after that, I stopped and got more berries. Oh, and they had bags. They were not just eating. They're like, they, and they're, they're like, I don't know, Jamaican, some, they're speaking with an accent and I would guess 60 something from the islands. Yeah. That's what I would guess. And an old couple out picking berries, presumably in the neighborhood because they're on foot. Mm -hmm. And then there's, and we passed each other back and forth two or three or four times. And finally I knew that I wasn't going to stop at the next tree. I was going to head home. And I said to him, have a great time. I just love all these berries. And the guy says to me, enjoy. And if you read my stuff, the word joy shows up a lot. Nature is to me joy. And that's the big one for me. And when he said it three times in a row, so slow like that, it was very heartwarming. And I could have gone to Jamaica to get that. And I could have been in a place that wasn't New York, where you have the diversity that we have in New York. If I was in Kansas and something similar had happened with just people who had been in Kansas for a long time, I'm sure there would have been a connect- there were connections to be made. If someone lives in Kansas, they're going to value things different than running into Jamaicans. <laughs> or I hope. Maybe not. You never know. <laughs> they might value that. But I, would hope, I, live in, I hope people have chosen to live where their values, and that places, living in places that embody their values so that, if they're, that they would find 
what's valuable to them in their place the way I find what's valuable to me in my place. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Certainly you and I, we share, there's a certain privilege, right? Where we probably can choose where we live. So it's a matter of perspective, right? Can you appreciate where you are if you can't change your circumstance or just appreciating where you are because you, you decided to be there? And I think um, at the end of the day, it's just a matter of, of just being grateful in, in the ways that you can for what you have. Well, in, in this case, it's, I was answering a specific question of what I could get from traveling without flying. Yeah. And I was just adding my two cents. That's trying to make it a conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, on the flip side, I flew to North Korea and those were great life experiences. And I don't, they're not easy to get there. Well, I guess I could sail and then take the train. They don't let Americans take the train. So, yeah, there's some things that flying enables, but in the balance between you know, technological innovation combined with efficiency seems to be having a mix of effects. It, it improves our lives on the individual level, and it lowers its ability to sustain life. And we're turning the world into skid row in some ways. And so, which is winning? I think for post-World War II, for several decades, unquestionably, well, invisibly, we didn't see the pollution. So we didn't know that it was building up and the ocean was acidifying and so forth. But to anyone casually looking, the improving life was winning by, any, by all measures. Now I'm not so sure. I, it seems to me that the pollution is winning. The, the, effect of the, the pollution effect is the greater effect now. Yeah, I think, I don't know if my brain can process the there's some conflict, right? Because with war, in industrialization, accessibility to more information or to new technologies that improve people's lives, obviously it comes at a cost environmentally. What price do you put on someone's ability to learn about a different way of thinking or a different ideology or someone else's experience? Some of those things I would say are priceless. I'm sure someone could put a price on them, but the ability to learn about others beyond yourself I think, I don't know if it's, it's, it's a difficult measure. So there's, I say that to say, certainly there's a cost and we're seeing the cost in, in real time over the last century of what that you know looks like measurably as it relates to the environment. But I feel like the, the flip side of that is, you know, for, we talk about material things versus experiences and things that you can't quite quantify or measure. And for me, it's difficult to weigh. I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't taken it economics course in a while, but some sort of cost analysis, cost benefit analysis. I think that the, what this podcast is about as a strategic element within a mission of moving it from, well, we have to look at the economics and get the experts to weigh in on this. I think the experience of everyone's personal experience of sharing their, what the environment means to them and incorporating that more into their lives that is reversing the direction of most of what most listeners and, and people on the podcast have experienced in their life has been always, I think the general trend has been more tech means improved life. Mm -hmm. I, I got a PhD in physics. I helped launch a satellite. I, I'm a big fan of technology, but a, a step back toward nature is most of human history up until recent decades, everyone lived within a short walk of something like, a place where they could walk in the trees, 
in solitude or listen to the waves lapping on the beach, they could certainly look up at the sky and see an infinitude of stars. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't see stars at night here in New York. The moon, sure, but stars, no. And I can't, solitude is really hard to come by. And so I think that giving people that experience changes it from an intellectual exercise of like cost and benefit analysis to it being obvious, a, a giant values shift. And I yeah. work with professional athletes and heads of corporations, elected officials, because they're leverage points of a system. They, people really look up to athletes and want to emulate them. And they look up to politicians. I don't know if they look up to politicians, but they pay attention to them. Yeah. And I predict that if you turn off electronics earlier, the effect will be greater than you anticipate if it's coming from inside. I I don't disagree with that. So I'm excited for this new experiment. And we didn't make it a smart goal. If you don't mind me jumping back into that, when would you say, do you have, can you think of the rules? Is it just earlier or just? No, I, I think I try to be in bed by 10 on a nightly basis, at least during the week. And so I think a reasonable goal when you say smart goal specific right yeah um so what is specific measurable yeah. uh what is, what is it? achievable and then realistic. r is realistic and t time. is time yeah no i turn my lights off at 9 p.m which is realistic because i'm tired at 9 p.m and i at least use less lights i can't say i'll turn off all of my lights maybe i like i would like a light to read my book which would be uh it wouldn't be a digital book it'd be a physical book and yeah, that's it's pretty straightforward. I don't know how, could, could my goal be smarter? <laughs> well, you, uh, how long would you do it for? Or how long until you can, if I ask you how to go or how's it going, you can answer. I say 30 days, but when is a habit for him? Or maybe we'd, we'd check in for at 30 days and maybe do a different marker. If 30 days sounds good. The goal here isn't to necessarily get you to start a habit. It's just to have you have the experience. If you then choose to make a habit, that's your business. Well, for me, that's, that's what I would like. That would make it more meaningful to me if I were to create a new habit. So that so I think for, yeah. If you started lots of habits, then I think developing a habit is a skill. When they say oh, it takes 27 days of doing something daily to create a habit. I think that's if someone isn't good at making a habit, but if you've created lots and lots of habits, then you could probably pick it up faster because you know how to, set up the systems around your house so that it's easier to do and you get less distracted or things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you're not good at making habits, something like 30 days, if you're good at making habits, it could be right off the bat. Yeah. I think right off the bat, there's one thing that I've been able to, that I'd attribute my success as a professional athlete to its habit. Mm-hmm. And so I feel pretty comfortable developing new habits when I set my mind to it, if they're meaningful changes to me and, and that one in particular is so and bacon isn't <laughs> bacon no nah, I, I like bacon i'm not gonna say i don't like bacon but not really i guess no. it could have turned out differently if the flavors were different had resonated with you differently it might have been a different story. i mean yeah if the bacon was good, like life-changing bacon which i've had some good bacon before <laughs> but maybe the the outcome would have been different it is what it is are you game to come back in a month then yeah I'll, i'm a month May 4th, would that be four weeks a month or 30 days a month? Let's do 30 days. I like the, I like the number 30. Okay. So 30 days, that's not April. So that'll be May 4th. 
All right. And then my goal, my, to make my goal smarter, it'll likely be Monday, or at least I'll do Sunday through Thursday. That way I have my Friday and Saturday. Okay. To, to do your thing. A little more realistic. <laughs> okay, cool. So four days a week, roughly speaking, in bed by 10 with lights, most of, more lights out than before. Maybe reading lights on. Easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy. Should we Shouldn't be too your- difficult. No, we didn't get to your future plans and the coding. Oh, yeah. I finished that course. I got my certificate. And today was my day that I'm supposed to start coding on my personal projects and start looking for work. Oh, man. I want to talk. I want to hear about all the videos too and how that's going. Is there a, a short? The short on the videos, we talked about making America a lot. That's, that's something that I was really passionate about. But to be honest, I'm, I'm running on fumes as far. I, I don't feel as inspired as I did a few years ago. So that's something that I'm trying to reckon with. But in terms of content creation, I'm still creating content. I'm planning on launching a new podcast by the end of this month that covers Web3 topics, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, how they impact our lives, how people can be involved in the space, what opportunities are available for people to to gain from the space financially and otherwise. And so that's something that I'm excited about, which is the reason why I took the coding course to begin with. So I found that a lot of we're really early and the technology isn't super accessible. So if you can understand it from a technical standpoint, that certainly gives you an advantage. Mental note to self. He mentioned getting it done by the month, end of the month. So I'm going to ask you about that too, even though that's not the smart goal. That's not the goal that we talked about, but I'm going to ask anyway. Yeah. Which goal? Uh, getting the podcast up. Oh yeah. No, the podcast is going to be up, man. That's, 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 that's a very realistic goal because the goal was this first week of April. And so I'm far enough along where I feel pretty confident, um, more than confident that I'll be able to get the podcast up. Okay, cool. And this episode will almost certainly go up after that because of the backlog. So hopefully people can go to the notes and get to that, listen to that podcast. Did Josh get his podcast up? Hopefully it's an easy yes. <laughs> well, only time will tell. Yep. Uh, anything else to cover this time before wrapping up until next time? No, I think we did a good job. We covered some bases, set up the next episode, the next time we meet. And I'm excited about this, your class this afternoon, this, yeah, this late in afternoon. An in, in an hour. Less. In an hour. Less. It'll be less than an hour. So I need time to microwave my Trader Joe's <laughs> vegetarian TV dinner, and then I'll be fueled and ready to go. Josh Martin, thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Josh, for having me on. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.